Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Jesus, we, we command sickness to go from this church in general, in Jesus' name, and from Jen Wiki in particular, God, bless her whole body right now, head to toe, in Jesus' name. And for Sheldon Eby, God, bless him head to toe in Jesus' name. And can we all just say we agree on the count of three? One, two, three. We agree. Amen. All right. Well, today I'm going to be talking about something really cool. Our miracles in general and healing specifically for today. That was already a spoiler alert. We believe yes. Yes. And I'll tell you what I'm not going to address today. I'm not going to talk about how to do it, techniques and tips. I'm not going to troubleshoot for healing, and I'm not going to give a defense for why some people seem to get healed sometimes and other people don't. There are lots of books on that, great sermons on that, but this isn't that sermon. The only thing I'm going to address today is this one question. Really, it's the first question that comes before those, and that is, is it even on the menu? Can we get that anymore? Is it available? And if you already believe that it is, I hope this strengthens your faith in that. And if you don't, I really hope that this gives you some things to research and chew on. Does that sound good? So because that's my intention, I am not going to cite any other books other than the Bible and Bible commentaries. We're sticking absolutely straight to the word, and that's intentional, you know. And uh, we're going to make a case for this. Shall we begin? Lots of Bible. Let's start. One, Jesus is out. I'm not going to talk about Jesus' miracles because we'd say, well, that's Jesus. Fair? And I'm not going to talk about the 12 disciples because we would say, yeah, well, that was the 12 disciples. Fair? Okay. But I am going to talk about Paul. So let me read some miracles from Paul. The first one I want to talk about is in Acts 13, and you can read this in verse 6 through 12. Paul is witnessing to some pretty important people, a proconsul, And he's being opposed, actively opposed, by a sorcerer named Elimas. All right? And everybody's respecting this guy. They know that he's something, this Elimas guy. So they're not listening to Paul. Paul has enough and says this. You are a child of the devil. Ouch. And an enemy of everything that is right. This is in front of everybody. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately, mist and darkness came over this Elamas guy, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Super powerful sorcerer reduced to being like a beggar by the hand of God. Guess what happens? Verse 12, when the proconsul saw what had happened, they believed, or he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. All right, I classify this as an attack miracle. I don't know if that's a thing. Did I just come up with a term? You know, the guy was only blinded for a time. You know, don't think that it's hopeless for this Elamas guy. I'm pretty sure that he got ministered to later. But this is Paul working a pretty amazing miracle. Can we agree? I include that because I'm going to come around to the purpose that miracle serves a little later. So that's first. Second, Paul is in Lystra, this little place, and he's preaching about things he preached about. And he sees this guy who's lame. And this guy in Acts 14, 8 through 11, has been lame his whole life. He's never walked. 
And it says that Paul looks at him, and he sees that the guy has faith to be healed. So Paul doesn't even bother going over him to, to lay on hands or anything. He just yells at him. And he says, hey, you, get up. Verse 10, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Well, you're from a little town. You know this dude. And all of a sudden, he jumps up and starts walking. You know, I'm paying attention to you now, man, right? Okay. And then the crowd says, surely the gods have come down to us. So they were a little confused. But what a miracle. Person lame from birth. But I sense that a little bit of an issue may be arising in our hearts. And I'll lance that boil in a second. But first... Acts 19, 11 to 12. Great image, Anthony. Great. That's Sunday morning appropriate. All right. Woo! Yay. Acts 19, 11 to 12. Check this out. Kind of a summary of Paul's miraculous ministry. It says that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, as if miracles weren't normal enough. Well, what would qualify as an extraordinary miracle? Well, here we go. Verse 12 of chapter 19. Even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. So you bring Paul's bandana to somebody and demons run away. Even by biblical standards, this gets an extraordinary, <laughs> this is an extraordinary miracle, right? But in the back of some of our minds, we might be hearing this and we might be thinking, yes, but that is Paul. Anthony, you're cheating. Because while he's not Jesus, and he's not one of the twelve, we know he's an apostle. And certainly, they were special, right? One-time, non-repeatable, special dudes. So, I'm not sure, Anthony, that that's setting a precedent for, he for healing and miracles today. Fair. Let's continue. Acts 6-8. We have a little bit of an issue. They need to hire some waiters, some people to manage some funds, and they pick this guy named Stephen. This is the intro he's given. Acts 6.8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. We need to stop and think about this here. Stephen is not one of the 12, right? And yet he's doing great wonders and signs among the people. That's pretty interesting. And if you wanted to think, yeah, but he served under the apostles and you know, the, the 12 were still right there. He's special too. Hold that argument in your mind if, if that doesn't seem quite right to you. If that doesn't seem like a good enough precedent. And let's move on. Acts 9, 17 to 18. Paul's been knocked off his horse. He's blind. God sends him a vision. This guy named Ananias is going to come, Paul. Don't worry about it. He's going to restore your sight. Then God goes to Ananias and says, Hey, buddy, I've already obligated you. He's had a vision of you coming. You better go. Ananias says, oh, all right. And he goes to Paul, and this is what he says. Ananias went to the house and entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you so that you may see again, as in to heal your blindness, and so that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again, he got up, and was baptized. Now this isn't someone that was handpicked by the disciples, right? This is seemingly some random faithful guy who had faith in Jesus that God just picked. And he heals someone of blindness. 
And granted, you might be thinking, yes, but the guy he healed again is Paul. Paul's coming into play here an awful lot. And certainly, Paul was special. One time, non-repeatable, special guy. So Anthony, I'm still not convinced. Hold that thought. Let's move on. After Paul healed the lame guy in that little town, and they thought he was a god, some trouble ensued, and they end up stoning him a little later. Horrible situation. So they stone him in the city and drag him out of the city thinking he's dead. And then it says this in Acts 14, 19 through 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, not moving, dead body, he got up and went back into the city. Okay? Stoned in the city, dragged out, disciples gather around, pops up, goes back in. A, that's the kind of guy we're dealing with. And B, I think it's fair to say, that's a miracle. And if you think there's no real proof here that they prayed for him to be resurrected, you know, I'm just not sure that's a miracle, I would direct you to F.F. Bruce and the New International Commentary on the New Testament who says of this passage, Luke's description of Paul suddenly standing up and going back into the city has the flavor of miracle about it. I agree, Mr. Bruce. So let's move on to another, because that still features Paul, doesn't it? This is probably the biggest one in this section. Galatians 2, 3, verses 2 through 5. Quick backstory, if I may. The Galatian church was in trouble. Even to the Corinthian church that we often laugh about and we say, you know, what a train wreck, how messed up they are. They didn't get quite the attitude and polemic from Paul that the Galatians did. Because the Galatians were about to decide, seemingly as a group, they were so influenced by these outside influences that, you know, the cross isn't quite enough to make us the people of God. Jesus' sacrifice isn't quite enough to make sure that we're in. We need that and everything that Judaism entails. And Paul is firing on all cylinders to stop this in its tracks. And he gets heated, and he is arguing every way he can to convince them, no, it's Jesus plus nothing that makes you one of the people of God. And this is one of his arguments, and it's interesting what he appeals to. Listen to this. Galatians 3, 2 to 5. Paul says, I'd like you to tell me just one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh or the law? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the law or by believing what you heard? Huge. And people will want to argue all kinds of weird ways to say that this doesn't say what it says. Certainly, it can't be a church with doctrinal issues that has an ongoing miraculous life in the Spirit, right? Well, yeah, it can. <laughs> I have a commentary by a guy named Thomas Schreiner, and he is a Baptist professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Praise the Lord. Amen. And he's a Baptist minister, and even he says, and I will quote, this verse is interpreted by some as evidence that the charismatic and powerful work of the Holy Spirit is ongoing. Well, thank you, Professor Schreiner. And then he actually cites three other commentators that agree with that, and only one that has a contrary opinion. 
Is it safe to say even he has a three-to-one bias that this, that this is saying exactly what it says it's saying? There's miracles in the Galatian church. And for an even stronger support of that, Richard Longenecker in the Word Biblical Commentary says that Paul is bringing to mind the Galatians' initial encounter with the Spirit, their ongoing experience of the Spirit, which includes miracles, and it is absolutely referring to miracles done in the Galatian church, not among them as in the Gentiles at large, but that church. And quoting another scholar, he finishes his section by saying, any interpretation that would try to say this is Paul referring to his own works among the church would be quite unnatural, that there's no reason to restrict miracles to Paul since the Holy Spirit is not restricted to Paul, and that it would call, cause Paul's argument to lose its natural force. Paul is saying, you want the law, huh? Where did you get the Spirit? Oh yeah, it was Jesus. Where did you get all those cool experiences? Oh yeah, it was from Jesus. And how about the miracles that are still going on? Yeah, that's Jesus too. That's the argument. A church with doctrinal issues still experiencing the miraculous presence of God in the absence of any type of apostolic leadership. Paul's writing a letter because he's not there. Come on. Amen? So yes, there is biblical precedent for non-Jesus, non-apostles, non-Jesus, not Jesus, and non-apostles working miracles in the New Testament, specifically healing. All right, but it gets better. You guys ready for another point? I've used this every time. I'm going to use it again just because I feel like it's so good. Mr. Veen, let's say that I said I have something I want you to do, and I give you 500 feet of premium climbing rope, a premium backpack for backpacking, some crampons, a couple ice axes, a trekking pole, and a map of a mountain. What would you think I was going to ask you to do? Mountain climb. Now, was that difficult? I, don't, I asked the 13-year-old at Saturday night. You know, he got it right, too. It's amazing. Because if I'm provisioning you to do something, I probably expect you to do that, right? right? We're provisioned to do miracles and healings in the New Testament. We are provisioned. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11, and verse 28, just for fun. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another, knowledge, to another, faith, to another, gifts of healing, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing of spirits, to another, speaking in tongues, and to another, interpretation of tongues. And all these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And here's 28. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, guidance, and different kinds of tongues. So here's my question. Why would we go through seemingly randomly with our markers of theology and cross off certain gifts and certain provisions and say, well, we'll take helps and we'll take wisdom, but we're going to get rid of tongues, we're going to get rid of miracles, and we're certainly going to get rid of healing. Why? It makes no sense. There's not an expiration date on any one of these, and God doesn't provision us to do things that he doesn't expect us to do. How does God refer to people, Jesus specifically in the Gospels, who receive a gift and then bury it and don't use it? Not well. In fact, in Luke, that story is downright creepy in its ending. I advise you to look at it. 
God gives us gifts to use, and we are provisioned for healing and miracles. Amen, Anthony. Amen, guys. I agree. But wait, there's more. Not only is there precedent for it, not only are you provisioned for it, but did you know that you're actually instructed both to do it, and here's an unusual thing, you're, you're instructed to expect it. We are expected to do and expect miracles. That seems like quite a reaching claim, Pastor Anthony. Well, let's look at the Bible. We haven't gone anywhere else this whole time. In Luke 10, Luke records a story of Jesus sending out 72 people, and this actually mirrors another sending that you can find in Matthew 10. But in Matthew 10, I didn't use that because he sends out the 12. And according to my own rules, I'm not going to talk about what the 12 did. So Jesus tells the 12, go do special one-time non-repeatable things because you guys are special dudes, according to some people's thinking, and they go and do that. But here in Luke 10, Jesus says to 72 you know, my math isn't so good. I'm a pastor for a reason. But is it safe to say that at least 60 of those guys weren't the 12? Okay. Jesus says, heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The 72 return in verse 17 and say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. 72 people go out, heal people, proclaim the kingdom. They come back. Not only do we heal people, demons left non-disciples instructed to go out. And you might say, Anthony, cheating again. They were instructed by Jesus, making this a special one-time non-repeatable circumstance that doesn't set a precedent for today. But wait, there's more. We might be able to argue that if it wasn't for our good buddy in the back of our Bibles, James. And James, in like four or five verses, completely dismantles the arguments that I've been giving voice to. Let's read what he says. 14 of verse 5, of chapter 5. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. We're going to do that after service because we believe this. And if you just heard that and hope and faith rose up in your heart, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, come up for prayer. All right? But I get ahead of myself. Verse 16. I'm sorry. If they have sinned, this is verse 15, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. And he's about to say something right here that is so big we need to get it. I'm going to hammer on it. He mentions Elijah. Why would he bring up Elijah? Verse 17. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. James, we're talking about healing, right? We're talking about healing and confessing sin. Why are you bringing up Elijah? He's saying Elijah wasn't special. He's saying Elijah being special is not the reason he did that. The God working through him was special, and that is available. So are you sick? Call the elders, offer the prayer of faith, and remember, Elijah was just a dude like you, and you can pray like he prayed, and God can work like he worked. It dismantles the argument. 
Paul was a special dude. Oh, I can't do that. Stephen was a special dude. I can't do that. Ananias must have been a special dude. I can't do that. James doesn't even let us think that way about Elijah. Elijah, come on. Miracles and healing available. So what's the simple conclusion here, guys? I'll, I'll read it to you. And this probably sounds more like a lecture than anything else I've ever done. It's like the most non-charismatic defense of charismatic things that I've ever heard. <laughs> I apologize. So check it out. If there's biblical precedent for non-apostles doing the miraculous, specifically healing, after the resurrection of Jesus, and if we are provisioned for doing miracles and healing, and in fact commanded both to do and expect healing, then doesn't it make sense that miracles and healing should be happening? They should be for today. It makes sense. But here is the left hook that I encountered from a very unlikely source that got me on another line of reasoning that just blew my mind. And this caused me to sit back and say, oh my goodness, how have I never seen this before? And I hope you guys feel the same. And if not, I'm still real excited about it. So that makes me feel better. There may never be a retraction of healing and miracles because they are linked with preaching the kingdom. Matthew 4.23, Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Matthew 9.35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. This was Jesus' MO. And it was the 12. The same, just their same thing that they always did. Matthew 10.1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. And he says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom has come near to you. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. The 12 were supposed to preach the same thing and have the same results. So were the 72 when they were sent out. Heal the sick who were there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you, Luke 10, 9. Paul taught the same thing. His, he talks to the Ephesian leaders, I believe, in Acts 20, 25, and he says this. He's going to prison, and he knows it. And he says, now I know that none of you, among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. So we need to think of all those miracles Paul was doing as an adjunct of preaching the kingdom. And his ministry is summed up like this in Acts 28, 31, that Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Kingdom, miracles, kingdom, miracles, kingdom, miracles, right down to us. Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom, Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Who is supposed to do that? Us. Come on, right? Craig Blomberg, I love that guy. He, uh, he wrote a book called Jesus and the Gospels, and he was talking about how the different gospel writers portray Jesus' miracles, and he says that Luke, who also wrote Acts, portrays miracles as conquering Satan's power and domain. Isn't that what we saw Paul doing with the very first one? The guy's opposing the gospel, and he says, 
the hand of the Lord is against you. Be blind, dude. And he whoops the devil right there in front of the proconsul, and he believes. Does the devil still have power that he needs to lose on the earth right now? Does he still have some authority that needs to be taken away from him? Is there still room for the kingdom to advance? Has the Great Commission been rescinded? Is it too bold to say, I think it makes sense that miracles and healing should be expected to continue so long as the Great Commission is in effect? The devil has power he needs to lose, and if the kingdom has space that it needs to advance into, we need to have miracles and healing. They were never taken off the menu. Not only are they available, we need to expect them, and we need to do them. And you know, it's an interesting thing that maybe not everybody has the gift of healing, but some people do. And I think that if you want that, it's available. And I'll tell you, some of the people that have the gift of healing are going to be right over here. And I know that because they've prayed for me and I got healed. I've given this testimony several times. I'm going to give it again. Is Diane Stevens here at all? Dang it, she wasn't here first service either. I injured my back. I've had mistracking knees, grinding cartilage twice. I was in physical therapy. I've broken a few toes. I've, you know, I've really kind of injured myself a lot. I had hernia surgery one time. It was awful. I had a neck issue I had to get fixed. I hurt my back in the gym, and for three days I was in such excruciating pain that I couldn't sleep right. I couldn't turn in the car. It was awful, and it was the first injury I thought, Anthony, this one's forever. This is the one you're going to talk about. Like, I remember when I was 34, and I hurt my back. Holy Spirit breaks out randomly on a Sunday morning. They call for healing. I'm like, I need that. I go over here. Diane Stevens is praying for my back. She's just got her hands on it. She's not pushing Grinding, stretching, nothing. And we hear and feel it pop back into place so violently that we both went, whoa, did you feel that? And I was like, oh my gosh. And then my reaction, it's so funny. I have to include this too. I'm like, well, don't stop praying. I want more stuff. And I was like, I hurt myself in the gym trying to squat too much weight. Pray my squat gets higher. I was like, that's the only thing I could think to pray. You know? I was praying with Sue Brower. Actually, she was doing all the praying. I'm not going to lie. At a Jesus Loves Kalamazoo event a couple years ago, and she's going to be up here too. And a lady's knee got healed so dramatically. I was a little embarrassed. I admit it. I'm sorry. Because she was doing the whole how's the pain now thing, pray more, how's the thing now thing, pray more. And eventually it was like, it's gone. It's gone. And she's like, oh, yay, praise the Lord. Do you remember this, Sue? I'm like, yes, she remembers this. And as we left, I'm having a crisis of faith because I'm like, did I really just experience that? So we're walking away. This is on the north side, and I keep looking back. And the lady is just walking with this look of wonder on her face, like kicking her leg out. Her leg really got healed. God is doing that stuff. Dave Musel was just telling me over the weekend, where's Dave? See you in here? Awesome. Your eye, right? I was crazy blurry. You got prayer at the revival conference, and it snapped too. Is this still good? Still good. Did this also, come on. I think Carissa as well. Is Carissa anywhere? No, no, she was out front. Her eye too, blurry, snapped into place. Kim, shoulder? Frozen shoulder? Healed? Yes, come on. Okay, get in on that. If you have a healing need, stand up. Let's do that. If you want prayer for anything, just stand up and let's do this. Okay, awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. This is the preliminary prayer. And if you get healed right now, awesome. And if you don't, 
Go to the prayer team. And even if you did, maybe go there and they'll increase your squat and stuff. But God, we believe. We have the faith and the courage to expect what you told us to expect and to pray for what you told us to pray for. God, heal these saints. Heal these children of yours, Lord God. Jehovah Rapha, your name hasn't changed. You are still the healer. You are still the great physician. And there is not any striving or doing or secret formula that we have to know just to ask. Let these people be healed in the name of Jesus. I just ask that your healing power be released right now in this place. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Shoo. Yeah. Father, God, I ask that faith would rise up right now in this house. I ask that the faith of your people would rise up for healing. You said the prayer of faith would raise the person up. That's in there. God, we don't believe that's magic. We believe that's you. And we believe you're good. So I ask even now as we conclude, Lord, that your healing power would be here. Let it fall. In Jesus' name, amen.